Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone uh, here today. Uh, for those of you that are new, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here at Hill City and just so grateful you decided to spend uh, a part of your Sunday here with us. Um, we're just coming off our devoted series and uh, the next few weeks actually leading um, up through uh, Thanksgiving and, um, and into the Advent uh, series. The next couple of weeks we're uh, going to talk about, about mental and emotional health and then we're going to spend some time talking about prayer uh, for probably five or six weeks um, after that, which we're uh, really excited about and what that's going to mean uh, for our church. But today we have a guest speaker uh, with us. So as you guys know, um, Lacey and I went on sabbatical uh, this summer. And uh, one of the things that we did, we were able to go down and be with Cliff and Sally Roth down at Cross Point, and, um, which is they do a lot of counseling for uh, 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 folks in ministry. And um, it was one of uh, the kind of the top like experiences that uh, we've ever had as a couple, but even just me as a person, um, one of the just top things in, like in depth of my soul, like how good it was and um, what it meant for me. And I'm just so very thankful. But we've gotten to know them over the past few years, and um, they've they've trained some of our folks and been a part. Um, you don't know this, but they've been a part of our church, like kind of tangentially, and um, helping train uh, a lot of folks, and um, and really just love them dearly. Um, will you give Cliff a warm welcome as he comes up to share this morning? Well, uh, I have been a part of this church tangentially. It feels like I'm family. It kind of feels like I'm home a little bit. Uh, so good to see you guys, kind of. The lights are a little bright. Uh, um, and I, I felt like you guys have been listening to my Spotify playlist too with those songs. That was amazing. And, uh, and getting to hang out with John and Lacey last night. We, uh, we love them and we love this church. And I wanna say, just as a word of affirmation, uh, we work with a lot of churches over the, all over the country, and uh, Hill City is special. You need to know that. It's a special place. Uh, it's special for a number of reasons, I think, but um, one of them is that you have special leaders, and it's not just John and Lacey. You have some really special leaders in this church, and you have special leaders that stick around because you must be special, Okay. Uh, special leaders don't stick around unless there's special people who are supporting them and following them. And so I just want to say a word of affirmation to you. I think this is a unique and special community. And I, I don't want you to take that for granted. We take a lot of things in life for granted, especially in our, in our culture, in our country. Uh, what you have here is unique and special. And I don't know what's coming in the future, but I think unique and special community is going to be a really important part of you sort of maintaining your sanity, <laughs> all right? So I just want you to hear that word of blessing and affirmation at the get-go and say, I am super grateful to be able to see your faces and sort of the, the community that's been represented in these leaders. These leaders do not make the community. They are, they're just sort of helping facilitate it. And man, you guys are doing an amazing job uh, together as a, as a family. So thank you for letting me be here, John, Lacey, and church. Um, so as John said, he, he, he set me up to say, hey, can you come talk about mental and emotional health? That was all I had, right? And that's a topic we could talk about forever. I think every sermon's basically about mental and emotional health. Uh, so we could go anywhere with this, I guess. Um, and, but at the outset, I wanna say it's a sensitive topic. 
Uh, each of you have a thought or a picture or a representation that comes to your mind when you hear the words mental, emotional health. It could be your mom, it could be your mother-in-law, it could be you, uh, it could be your kid, uh, it could be someone that you love dearly, it could be your grandparent, uh, it could be um, a number of things that come to your mind when you hear those phrases so I, or those words. So I want to say at the outset, it is sensitive, painful for some of us, um, confusing for some of us challenging for all of us, and uh, we're going to dive in deep quick, all right? I thought of, I was trying to think of like a cute story we could start out with that would kind of catch your attention and we could all be like kind of fun together, but I'm like, we're talking about mental and emotional health, like let's just jump in the deep end, you know? Let's jump in the deep end. So we're going to jump in the deep end with my friend Thomas Merton, who's a monk from Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky. I also need to say before I forget, thank you for being on the front row right now in that t-shirt. I'm originally from Tennessee, and he's wearing a Rocky Top shirt right now. Anybody? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. All right. So thank you for that. Uh, but I'm from Tennessee, live in Kentucky. So Thomas Merton, he's a monk from Kentucky, which is kind of a big deal. Um, anyway, here's what Thomas Merton said, and I want to start with this. <clears throat> Only the person who has had to face despair is really convinced that he needs mercy. Those who do not want mercy never seek it. It is better to find God on the threshold of despair than to risk our lives in a complacency that has never felt the need of forgiveness. A life that is without problems may literally be more hopeless than one that always verges on despair. I'm gonna read that one more time since it wasn't on the screen, okay? Hear this. Only the person who has had to face despair is really convinced that he needs mercy. Those who do not want mercy never seek it. It's better to find God on the threshold of despair than to risk our lives in a complacency that has never felt the need of forgiveness. A life that is without problems may literally be more hopeless than one that always verges on despair. Did you hear that last line? I think that's really important. A life that is without problems may be more hopeless than one that always verges on despair. But we live in a world that is seeking to live all of life without any problems, <laughs> right? So at the outset, I just wanna say, when we're talking about mental and emotional health, we're not talking about quick fixes. We're not talking about five things you can do to fix every, all your problems, okay? It's a, it is a journey, and clumsy's as good as it gets, because that's what keeps you dependent on God and each other. In fact, I would say that's probably what makes this a beautiful community, is that you're willing to live in the tension of life with problems. But it doesn't mean we don't address the problems, okay? Somebody said, like, a culture of grace is a culture of, a, is like a place where you can go and be who you are. I like that, okay. But a culture of grace is also, a, and a community of grace is a community where you can go and be who you are and also find help for your problems. And so we want both of those things. Welcome, wherever you are, whoever you are, welcome. But we can help you. We can help you too. All right, so one more thing at the outset, kind of intro that we gotta, we gotta know that any kind of mental or emotional health always lives at an intersection. 
It's, it's, it's at an intersection. It's kind of, it's not in a ditch on either side. It's kind of on, on the middle of the road, or I'd rather say an intersection of two things. And those two things are honesty and hope. All right, you can't get to mental or emotional health being dishonest, and you can't get to mental or emotional health with hopelessness. You gotta be honest, and you gotta be hopeful. And then you can stay on the journey toward health. So how's it going for you? Is it hard to be honest? Is it hard to be hopeful because you found it hard to trust? Well, that's okay. Wherever you are, we're gonna stay on the journey to the intersection of honesty and hope. So wherever you find yourself this morning needing more honesty or needing more hope, I hope we can work together to sort of gain some perspective and move in that direction. Now we're not, like I said earlier, we're not gonna talk about the whole pie of emotional and mental health. We're gonna talk about one little sliver, one little piece of the pie, all right? So I, I, I'm gonna give you sort of a framework, sort of a lens, sort of a, maybe you could even say a biblical theology of emotional and mental health. It's a framework. This is gonna be a way of seeing. It's a way, of, it's like putting glasses on it. I just want you to kind of hold it up, look through it, and, and just sort of do some self-reflection. So it's a framework. It's not three practical things that you need to do as much as it is a, maybe a way of being or seeing. Seeing yourself, seeing God, and seeing each other. So before we do that, I just wanna ask you this question, and I want you to take a moment to reflect on it. How do you see God seeing you? Before we can really get a biblical understanding or a Christian understanding of mental and emotional health, really before we can get a Christian understanding of anything, we have to answer the question, how do I see God seeing me? As one theologian put it, what does God think about, or what do I think about when I think about God thinking about me? What comes to your mind when you see God looking at you? So may God help us as we talk about this for the next 20 minutes to have open hands, right, rather than defended bodies, open hearts rather than shut down hearts that are hopeless, and open minds rather than overly opinionated minds. Open hands, open heart, open minds. God help us in this way if there are defended bodies, may you help them relax. If there are shut down hearts that are feeling the, the darkness of despair or hopelessness, I pray that you would enliven them in this moment. And if there are exaggeratedly opinionated minds that are stuck, God, in your mercy, hear our prayer for freedom and for an openness that would allow you to change us, conform us into your image. We're trusting you for that work. Amen. The quality of your life depends upon the quality of your relationships. My mentor said this to me a long time ago, and I said, okay, sounds good. 
But as I've lived over the last 10, 12 years, uh, I've learned how important this phrase is for me and how important it is for you. The quality of your life depends upon the quality of your relationships. Which means that your mental and emotional health are profoundly impacted by your understanding of your relational design. You could go to the best therapist in the world, but if you don't believe that, you're gonna be in trouble. Hopefully the best therapist in the world will tell you that. The quality, your quality of life depends upon the quality of your relationships. So your mental and emotional health are profoundly impacted by your understanding of your relational design, that you were created for community. Let me say it another way. You, me, as humans, we are all humans, right? Looking around, I think we're all humans. Humans, you and me, we are designed for and defined by our relationships. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. And that's really what I, un- I wanna unpack. That we are designed, our design, I wanna talk about our relational design, but I also wanna talk about our relational definition, how we are changed, how we identify ourselves has to do with our relational design, our relational connection. So we're designed for relationships, we're defined by relationships in our stories and our families and our communities. And then the last thing we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up with is just the fact that no matter where you are on the journey, no matter how many parts of yourself you might have forgotten, no matter how out of touch you might be with who you are and what you were made to do, no matter how hurt you might be by your family or the church or your friends, wherever you are, whoever you are, No matter how put together you feel, God remembers you. He remembers you, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove that he remembers who you are. So, again, your quality of life depends on the quality of your relationships. You are designed for and defined by relationships. St. Paul said this as he wrote a pretty confrontational letter to the church in Corinth, beautifully uh, again, crazy town. He's writing a letter to people living in like, wow, like they got a lot going on there when it comes to mental and emotional health, right? And he wraps up his first letter to these wonderful people um, with 1 Corinthians 13. Anybody ever heard of that chapter in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13, it's kind of popular. Uh, and it starts out like this though. It makes the point that I'm trying to make. It says this, I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's uh, translation, The Message. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but a creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as day, and even if I have faith or confidence that says, move a mountain, move to that mountain, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake and be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Paul is saying you are designed for and defined by love. Your relationships. And he's saying the quality of your life, the quality of your work, the quality of your parenting, the quality of your marriage, the quality of your friendships is is defined and you're designed for that and it's defined by 
your love, your capacity for connection. So this means if we're gonna live well, we've gotta learn to love well. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. God's design for relationship. God designed you for relationship. Introvert, extrovert, I don't care. Enneagram seven, Enneagram five, I don't care. He designed you for a relationship. Whatever other personality test you wanna take, okay? He designed you for relationship. You're created in his image, the scripture teaches us in Genesis. Created in the image of a relational God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Kind of mind-blowing, this whole thing about the Trinity. Pretty mind-blowing, hard to wrap our minds around, but not when we really look at ourselves and see how we're created for, for relationship. It kind of makes sense that if we're created in the image of God, he's kind of like us, and that he wants and longs for connection. So we're created in the image of a relational God. And, and our God cannot not be relational. So much so that he defines himself as one word, I am love. He cannot not be relational. And you're created in this same way, in this likeness, longing for connection. God designed you, he designed me to enjoy giving and receiving of love. Lacey in the morning, whatever that was, I was gonna say huddle, is it a huddle? It was like a huddle, it was like a party. Uh, she, she was telling, she was encouraging us as, uh, as welcomers to, to welcome people with eye contact. Speaking to and, and encouraging us to not forget the, the relational design that eye contact makes a difference, right? You ever had a conversation with somebody that doesn't make any eye contact? It's kind of weird. <laughs> it feels funny inside. I don't know if I can trust them. Are they hiding something? Are they scared? Am I scary? Like, I don't know what's going on here, right? You know, you kind of know innately that you were wired and designed for connection, for giving and receiving to each other, just attention, affection, a lot of things. But, but you know that you're designed for that. And when it doesn't work out, when it's not working out, we begin to quickly realize the only way that this relationship is gonna flow or gonna work is if somehow I can trust you and you can trust me. Because trust is the currency of relationships. Hear me, trust is the currency of all relationships. God designed you that way, he designed me that way, and the only way we can love, the only way we can live well is if we understand that trust is the currency. I've gotta trust you, God designed us to trust. To be human is to be trusting. You can't make it on your own. No man, no woman, is an island. You were designed in the, the image of God for relationship, which means you were designed for trust. To be human is to be created. It means you're not in control of the process. You didn't have any choice about this life you're living. You just, you just came about. Here you are. You're trusting someone and something to hold you together. Trusting in God as our creator. We learn to trust in ourselves. If you didn't trust yourself at all, you wouldn't be here right now. 
and we're learning to trust each other. This is pretty amazing. So, of course, we know the great commandment that Jesus said, too, that kind of backs up all this thing, right? He said, hey, I can sum up the whole, the whole Bible, basically, in one line. And it was, love, the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. He said it this way in Mark. The most important commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. In other words, with your head, your heart, and your body. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You get the point. Hopefully, you were designed for relational connection. Denying that is to deny your very design. It's to, it's to deny God's like perfect way of forming you, knitting you together. And if you need any more evidence, I want to give you one more. Okay, that's kind of the the sort of creation evidence, theological evidence, if you will, let me just remind you in one other way. The only way that you flourish, the only way that you stay alive, to be healthy, to be a healthy human, you have to be a human who has needs. You have to be a human who has needs. Any needless humans will die. Right? You're not a hero, you're not a superhero. I mean, you might do heroic things, and I'm not denying that, but you're not a superhero, nor are you a martyr, right? Heroes and martyrs are not humans in one sense, they, or they, at least they cease to be humans. Martyrs end up dead. I know it's a sad thing. I'm not trying to make light of it, but it, it's not, it, like, at the end of the day, a, a martyr complex will kill you. And a hero complex, at the end of the story, your heroes usually end up alone, walking off into the sunset alone going to find another world to save. Not human. So how do you know you're human? I'm gonna give you five words that you have to write down or you have to somehow take a picture of the slide because these five words, I am confident, will assist you in your journey wherever you're at in emotional and relational, uh, mental, emotional, relational health. These five words, if you keep coming back to them, remembering that you were created with these five needs, then I'm confident it will help you on your journey no matter where you're at. I call them five compelling needs. I use the word compelling because it's compelling and because it also is, it's, it's getting at the way that these five words remind us that we are compelled to one another. Like we, 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 we're drawing near one another. If you don't have these needs, you will stop drawing near. You will stop feeling compelled to do relationship. Safety. I belong somewhere. Significance. I matter. Competence. I know some things. I'm good at some things. Control. By control, I just mean like freedom. If you don't ever have a voice, you will not develop as a human in the sense that you, you're not able to, 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 a voice in the relationship. I don't mean like a, a verbal voice. You must have, be able to take up space or have some control in the relationship. If you say stop, someone needs to stop. If they don't stop, they're dehumanizing you. When you say help, someone should help. And if they don't help, you might die. We all have a need for control, to be able to speak and be heard, to feel freedom to speak. 
And then the last one, of course, is affirmation. You have a need for affirmation. Now, these five compelling needs are evidence of our design, and all of you have them. And when I said that, safe, I belong, significant, I matter, competent, I know some things, control, my voice is heard, affirmation, I feel, I hear a blessing. When I say those five things, each of you have some sort of response inside of you, which is indicative of the way that these five needs are so compelling and part of God's relational design. You were designed for relationship because you have these five compelling needs and you cannot survive without connection. In the United States up until 1922, the death rate in an orphanage, the infant death rate in orphanages up to 1922 was 80%. Infant, three months or younger. The death rate was 80% in orphanages up to 1922 in our country. Why do you ask? Because the prevailing theory of human development was that if we give the child too much attention, we will spoil the child. So they would leave the child in the bed, feed it, and just leave it there. Otherwise, and when it cried, did they respond? No, they did not respond. Then we began to kind of wake up to the reality that actually infants need that connection, and without that very connection with the mother, the infant will die literally die. So, thank God, right? Thank God we figured that out. And we've been able to now develop ways of, or there's amazing research that's been done on how the brain develops. And the brain of an infant develops, the, the body of an infant develops, the personhood of an infant develops as we meet the infant's need for safety, significance, competence, control, and affirmation. When the baby cries, we respond. And we tell it, we love you, we hold it, we touch it, we hug it. Significance, you belong, you matter, you're safe. So these five compelling needs, they're, they're, they're called psychosocial needs. We all have them and they remind us of our design. And they're not sins, right? Just to be clear, it's not a sin to need safety or significance, or competence, or control, or affirmation. And amazingly, in the creation narrative, we see God meeting the needs for humankind perfectly. Safety, he gave him a place to belong. Significance, he gave him a name. He gave him a job. Competence, he trusted him to do his job, said you're good at it. Control, well, when he went to do his job, and he, Adam, in the, in the narrative, amazingly, this man goes to do the job, and he's like, I... I don't find any partner for me. There's no, there's no other humankind for me. God wasn't like, yeah, go try again. Actually, zebras are great, you know? You should go hang out with them a bit more. Man, dog's man's best friend, Adam, go try again. No, it's not how it worked. Adam needed another human. Humans need humans. Humans need humans. And God saw that and he heard him and he met his need for control. He listened to him. And when he saw what he had made, he said, it is very good. He affirmed it. And he continues to affirm his creation all through the biblical narrative. Do you see, being in need does not mean you're weak. It means you're human. And to deny your needs will lead to a lot of struggle in your life. So honor your design. 
by honoring your needs. Honor your relational design by honoring your relational needs. So you're designed for a relationship. Now, second point is this, you're defined by your relationships. You're defined by your relationships. We're designed to trust each other for these needs, but even as I talk about that, many of you are having feelings or memories or reminding, or you're, you're reminded of a, a moment in your life when you didn't feel safe or you didn't feel significant or you didn't feel competent or you didn't feel in control or maybe no one's affirmed you in like 10 years and you're dying inside for that. How did you know you're in need? How do you, when I'm, when I'm talking about it, something's happening in your body, right? Have you ever felt unsafe? Have you ever felt insignificant? You can remember that and you can even feel that in your body. Isn't that amazing? Again, part of God's amazing relational design that when you have a psychosocial need, you also get a physiological indicator. The physiological indicator is called a feeling, an emotion. Now we could talk about emotions for hours and hours. We'll just leave it at that. God gave you compelling needs and he helps, you under, he helps you know you have those needs by giving you feelings, physiological indicators of your relational needs. Make sense? It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. The design is amazing. And if we live into that design, it's pretty fascinating how things in our life begin to sort of make a little more sense. Not perfect, but a little more sense. I have feelings and I have needs. But if I deny my feelings and detach from my body, then I might not realize how, I might, not, I might forget I have needs. And if I forget I have needs, I'm forgetting how human I am. And when I forget how human I am, we often do things, uh, how should I say it? it gets a little, we go a little sideways. <laughs> Humans were meant to be humans. Feelings tell us we have needs and then invite us into a responsiveness. I could draw this for you, but I'm not going to because I don't want to like make a mistake. So here's the thing, like with the screen and everything. I'm just too nervous. <laughs> here's, here's how this works, right? I feel, I have a feeling. I need, oh look, there, I don't have to draw it. They'll just do that. I need... All right, and then I respond. I feel, I need, and I respond. This is how we learn to live in our relational design. I just wanna be clear, give you, uh, maybe this is a practical step. We can actually use words, we use our voice. I feel sad, I need comfort, or I need to grieve. I feel scared and I need safety. I feel lonely and I need affirmation. Now I have a choice. What am I gonna do with that? Am I gonna save myself or am I gonna trust God and trust my community? See how it works? Am I gonna save myself? I've got a choice. Now I, I gotta respond to this need and am I gonna reach out to God in prayer? Am I gonna reach out to my community and ask for help? Or say, I feel lonely and I need affirmation. Now, guys, I know this doesn't go perfectly all the time, right? And that's really the second part of the, the talk today, is that not only are we designed for relationships, but we're defined 
by relationships. So when we do that last part, it's super risky. It's super risky. And we get hurt and things are not the way they're supposed to be in the world. And your family system did not teach you how to do this very well. I mean, maybe yours did and that's awesome, but the other people's didn't. And so that makes life really frustrating. Does this make sense? Okay, so this is the design and it leads to this vulnerability with God and with each other that doesn't always go well. We know that, we felt that. Anybody felt that? I need an actual hand. Has anybody felt that? I felt lonely just then. I needed your affirmation and you responded really well. Thank you so much. See how that works? I do, I don't feel lonely now. If you wouldn't have raised your hands, I wasn't feeling really lonely. Here's the thing, you have a story and you learned how to do this in a story. This isn't just in your head, this is in your body. You learned how to do this in your life. Somehow, some way, there were people in your lives that, that contributed to your understanding of your feelings and your needs. And when it doesn't go well, we have a word for that. It's called trauma, right? It's kind of a buzzword these days. Thankfully, right, in one sense, thankfully it's a buzzword because we got it and we should talk about it. And all of you have trauma in some way, shape, or form, and we're not here to compare and get competitive with our trauma stories, but the bottom line is, bottom line is, is you've got a story and your story taught you how to do this, for good or for ill. And the journey of mental and emotional health is learning how to unpack that story to learn how to do something that seems kind of simple, but is oh so hard, right? But if we never tell our story, then we never learn how to do this in the right way. I wanna read this quote from a lady named Andy Kolber. She wrote an amazing book called Try Softer, highly recommend it. She says this, as a trauma-informed therapist, I don't consider stories to simply be abstract concepts or ethereal ideas, but instead the neurobiological framework through which we experience life for better or for worse. Simply put, stories or the compilation of events, emotions, sensations, ideas, and relationships that we've experienced our stories are held in our minds and in our bodies and they affect how we see the world. The templates some of us live from confirm that we are relatively safe and loved. And though we are imperfect, we are still capable. Others among us have been hardwired through their experiences, through our experiences to believe that we are not enough or that we are shameful, unlovable, or any number of other untruths. Did you catch this? Your story matters to your mental and emotional health. You learn to do mental and emotional, you learn to do feelings and needs in relationship. And for some of you that went relatively well, and for others of you that went terribly. And even for those of you who did it, who, who it went well, like you're, 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 meeting, you're meeting roadblocks still in your life and you have questions about why it's not going well or why it's, not, why it's so hard. And the answers to your questions are held where? In your story. 
you're defined by your relationships. Another way to say that, the answers are in the story. You wanna understand why you have so many roadblocks in your life relationally? Well, tell your story. Tell your story. You wanna understand why you can't seem to see the world through any eye other than criticism? Well, tell your story. You wanna understand why you have an inner critic that is louder than any other voice you could hear in your life? Tell your story. You wanna understand why you can't quit porn? Tell your story. You wanna understand why you are addicted to alcohol? Tell your story. You wanna understand why you yell at your kids all the time, nonstop? Tell your story. I don't care what the self-preservation strategy is, big, small, hurting others, not only hurting yourself, tell your story and you'll find answers. It's not a quick, easy formula. Please don't hear me saying that. But it's the beginning, it's it's a step in the right direction. And how can we be brave enough and bold enough to tell our story? Well, it's because God has lived our story. This is, this is a really big deal. God has lived our story. Sometimes I, I like to think about myself as built out of Lego bricks. Okay? Use your imagination or this picture and you can see, okay? Like built out of Lego bricks. I wish I knew the artist's name. I should have written it down, but I didn't. He built this. It's pretty awesome. And I imagine myself built out of Lego bricks, walking down the path of life. And along the way, people, my family, my dad, my mom, my brothers, my sisters, my school, my church, there were things about me that they didn't like. And I didn't know why they didn't like them, but I knew that if I didn't get rid of them, I wasn't gonna be accepted, so I would tear it off and leave leave it on the path. Now, some of those things may not have been a big deal, But some of those things were huge deals, okay? And I'm leaving these pieces of me all along the way as I'm walking the path and as I get older, I turned 40 this year, kind of crazy. And I'm looking back down the path and I see parts of me that I've left behind. I want you to understand why the incarnation of God in Christ is such a big deal to your mental and emotional health. Because as you look down that path and you see all those parts of you left behind, and as you try to, you look down at yourself and you're like, I've got missing parts, I've got parts of me that I don't know where the hell they came from, but they do not belong on me. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that here. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) I don't know where it came from, but it's not me. And you look down the path and you tell the story and you begin to remember who you are. By remembering, I want you to hear the little play on words that it is. Walking down the path, remembering who I am, not just with my head, but with my body. Picking up some of those pieces and holding them before God and holding them before myself and holding them before my friends or my therapist or or somebody who loves me and saying, does this belong? Like, where did, this come, where did this piece come from? And sometimes it's very nice to have someone pick that piece up and take a piece of you off and put it back where it belongs and remember you. Does this image make sense? We need to be remembered. And here's the thing about the incarnation. Jesus walked the path. God remembers you through Christ so that you can remember you. Jesus had a broken family 
Jesus had an experienced broken religion. Jesus had a broken heart. Jesus had an experienced broken promises. Jesus had a broken body. He remembers what it's like to be human. We don't have a great high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, but he didn't save himself. He trusted God to do the remembering. He didn't do it alone. He didn't tell his story in isolation. He trusted his father and he cried out to God and he said, help me remember who I am. He remembered his story in the relationship with his father. I'll end with this. So I want you to just imagine, imagine a God who remembers you as a God who has his arms open wide, who wants to give you a hug. May seem kind of basic or simple or whatever, but just imagine a God who wants to give you a hug. And he's walking towards you with his arms open wide. And his arms aren't open wide because um, he just wants to be welcoming. His arms are open wide because there's parts of you scattered everywhere. And he sees it. Remember the son in Luke 15 who comes home and the father comes running to him. He was waiting for him, looking for him. And he comes home and the father runs to him. And I imagine his arms open wide, not because he was just so excited, but in my mind, I imagine it because he had to pull up all the parts, all the parts of this broken man and remember him. Put him back together. You see, there are parts of you that you've never talked about, that you, parts of your story you've never told, but God knows them. There are parts of you you've forgotten about, but God knows them. And in his love for you, he's stretching his arms open wide and he's sweeping you up, and he's pulling you together, remembering who you are, and inviting you to do the same. To live life with God is to live a life where we agree with God about ourselves, that we matter, that the parts of our story that we've forgotten or that we want to avoid, that we don't want to remember, he gathers them up and he remembers us in an embrace. So wherever you are on your mental health journey, emotional health journey, relational health journey, I just want you to hear this word. He remembers where you are. You can remember where you are. You're designed for this. You've been defined by your relationships and that didn't go the way it was supposed to go. But as you tell your story and you remember who you are, you can do that in the safety of an embrace of a God who did feel it just like we did. He remembers who you are. Pray with me. God, you are the God of love who never gives up. You care more for us than we could ever imagine. You want for us what we don't even know we need. So Lord, in your mercy, remember us. In your mercy, remind us of our relational design. In your mercy, grant us the trust to tell our stories with our whole heart. In your mercy, remember us, Lord, and help us to remember ourselves and to remember one another. And in so doing, keep this great commandment that truly allows us to feel the freedom of what it means to be human and to live life in your kingdom 
where what you want done gets done, and we know that is love at the end of the day. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen, amen. Can we stand to our feet as we sing?